Uh, but if you're a guest with us, if I have never had a chance to meet you, my name is Phil, and I get the wonderful opportunity to be the lead pastor of this wonderful group, wonderful group of people who call themselves Clarity Church. And today we begin this really uh, this new series entitled Real Mature, and uh, the hope of this series is to explore, just in case you're wondering, the hope of this series is to explore what it means to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus Christ as master and savior and grow in maturity as followers of Christ. Now, uh, if you're someone who doesn't believe everything you've heard about Jesus and the Bible, this might sound super disinteresting to you, but uh, I, first of all, I want to give you credit for showing up uh, to a church gathering on Memorial Day weekend, but even as we head into the summer, we make this kind of ma- major assumption that uh, for most part, people who are disconnected from God aren't really showing up and choosing to come to, uh, to worship gatherings on a Sunday. So what we have done over the past five years now is taken the summers and said, hey, what would it mean for us to just pour into the church body's life and help us grow spiritually? Remember the first year that we were here, we went from Genesis to Revelation through the story of the narrative of the gospel. And every single year during the summer, we kind of really dive in really, really, uh, and really go in and, and see what we can do to grow both spiritually spiritually, uh, and, and uh, you know, just in relationally. And so um, that's what we're doing. We're beginning this series this week. Now, uh, before I jump into the message, I just, I see uh, Veronique here. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this is, everyone knows Jean right here, the bass player right here? Jean, uh, Jean yesterday, Jean invited me over to his house. Uh, and actually, he didn't invite me. He kind of begged, pleaded, like, hey, can you come over? My sister needs to access her computer. Her sister, his sister's from Florida, and she needs to access her computer, and you're Asian, fill in the blank. So that's my thing. I do uh, technology really well. And I mean, I'm like a walking, living uh, stereotype. I play the piano. (laughs) No. Um, So he called me and I went over and and I said, you know, like, you know, we're going to need to set up her computer to make sure she can receive it. Is there anyone there? You know, and and luckily they'd already been working with their, with John's mom. Now what you need to know about John's mom, she was over at Veronique's house and she is about the least technically savvy person in the world. In fact, if you were a fly on the wall, you would have sworn you were watching an episode of SNL because it kind of went like this. Um, <clears throat> we were FaceTiming her on, on, the, on the iPad and she was like, I don't know. His, uh, if you don't know, Jean is, uh, his mom's Puerto Rican. And uh, so she they, sounds like a lot like my mom. Fs are Ps, Vs are Bs. Go to the party with your friends in the bun. <clears throat> and so she's talking. She's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I'm sitting here trying to tell her, like, what you want to do is you want to go here. You want to click on this. And then in the background, John and Veronique, are, they're trying to help out. So they're, like, yelling all the same things that I'm saying in Spanish. And then I feel like this, un, un, like this pressure to, like, speak Spanish. And so, like, I don't speak Spanish very well. But I tried to, and I just think I made it worse. And then even at one point, at one point, she was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And we're like, you just take the mouse, pick it up, and click on the top of the screen. And I swore I saw her pick up the mouse and click the screen. It was the best thing. And then Veronique, she just falls to the floor. And it was, this was our situation. We were like, no, you got to just click it. No, 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 no. Right, right there, right there. Well, I can't do it. I don't know. It's not working. It's just, it was hilarious to say the least. And, uh, but she just kept on saying, she kept on saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't understand, this is confusing, I don't know if I can do this, right? So this is a story, uh, I, I, first of all, I had to include it just because it's, oh, it's a great story, I think it's funny. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, but, you know, this is a story about 
being confused technologically. The world that Jesus dropped into, if we didn't realize this, was a world that was confused very much spiritually. In fact, when Jesus came to earth, uh, he took on flesh, he moved into our neighborhood and lived among us. He got an apartment next to us, like he dwelt among us, right? And when God dwelt, uh, you know, when God made flesh dwelt among us, uh, when he came down, here's, here's what we know. There were very, very few atheists in that time. Almost everyone from Jew to Gentile to Greek to even pagans had some kind of spiritual beliefs, which resulted in uh, a plethora of religious systems. The problem was that all the religious, the religion was confusing people about who God, who God is and, and, and really what he desired from those he created. And Jesus knew that the only way to help straighten out the confusion was to calm down and to be human and come down in person, to take on flesh, to embody grace and truth so people could perceive the glory of God. At the beginning of the year, uh, I introduced a word for those of us that call Clarity Home that I wanted to uh, have us incorporate into our vocabulary. It's kind of a big theological word, but we're not afraid of that, right? And if, and if, and if uh, big theological words, and we're just, this is something I want us to embrace over this next year, but it's this word incarnation. And the hope is that the word incarnation would be the foundation of how we begin learning to live a life on mission, that it would begin defining the pathway towards maturity. I talked about this, and I don't really want to reteach that whole message. In fact, if you want to hear more about this, you can go to likejesus.claritychurch.org. See what I did there? So you can listen to that podcast or watch the video. You can catch a drift of what do we mean when we say live life on mission through incarnation, okay? So it's not just like a quip phrase that rhymes. It, it actually means something to us, and it's founded in the scripture, uh, particularly for us. We, we took a look at it in depth of this John chapter one passage. of What does it mean to live like, like Jesus, who, who was God, who made himself to be a slave? Philippians tells us, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but instead what? Humbled himself. So we took a look at that. Don't want to repreach that. But for those who might not have been here that first Sunday in January, or maybe you just forgot, Incarnation is a one-word definition of how followers of Christ live life as missionaries sent by God into the world. Incarnation is just simply how. Missional, we use this word missional. A lot of churches are using this word missional. We're trying to be missionaries. Missional, missional is what we're doing. We're living as sent ones. Like we literally believe that God has saved us, not just so that we can die and go to heaven, but he has saved us so that we can be the living example of the kingdom of God here now so that others may come to know who Jesus is through us and that they would experience the love and grace and truth of Jesus Christ, right? That is missional, but how does that happen? Well, that's incarnation. And specifically, incarnation is living life on mission like Jesus did. And we'll talk more about that in this series. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors and a a theologian, uh, says this. He said, being missional is about respecting people's unbeliefs. That's a huge, uh, if you think about it, that's a really weighty statement. Uh, So I'm just going to say it again. Um, Being missional is about respecting people's unbeliefs. And this is the heart behind incarnation. Now, how, how does this have to do with mature? I'm going to get there in a second, but I just need to talk about this. <clears throat> Let's talk about your past. What are, and you don't have to answer this, uh, have there been things for you that have made it hard for you to see 
God for who he really is. I've been told this, uh, I've told this story on and, and, and many occasion, but, uh, and so if, if you heard this before, I apologize, but <clears throat> uh, one day I was at Menards and I was just shopping and I ran into someone who was uh, someone that I knew from a previous church I was on staff as an associate pastor. And I saw this person, I was like, hey, <clears throat> I said it, I'm losing my voice right here, but I didn't say that, it was less creepy. <laughs> that would have been weird. <laughs> and then she ran out the store. Okay, that's what happened. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> no, but I said, hey. And she was like, hey. Uh, and then I began talking with her and eventually I was like, so how are things going? How's the church? And she said, actually, I'm not going there anymore. And I'm like, well, what's happening? She goes, well, uh, in my own personal life, I've just been having some struggles and some beliefs and some questions and I was at this Bible study and I brought some of these questions I've had and I was, quite frankly, I was treated like I was less than a believer and I was told basically just to pray more and read the Bible more and just believe. And so I really haven't been back there. And this situation was enough for the person to just choose not to engage in a journey of faith within a local church. And what she experienced, in fact, reaffirmed for her, even though it's not true, it reaffirmed for her the belief that a loving God does not exist. After all, if the way she was treated was truly a reflection of the heart and life of Jesus, then maybe Jesus isn't really who she wanted to give her life to anyways. Maybe you've had a story like this where your experience be, and it was nothing really to do about the scripture and really about who God really is, but your experience tainted. It was an experience that tainted your ability to see who God truly is. Here's what I know it's true for me. When tough things happen, I am tempted to not believe that a loving God exists. But here's what's also true. Nothing distorts a person more about who God is. And this is sad to say, at times, than actually religion. And that's what Jesus came to solve. Here's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come, we know this, right? He didn't come to convert people, but to adopt people into a family where their false assumptions about who God is could be processed and where they could find a real God and repent from their sins and turn to him and begin to say, Jesus is Lord and God is King, not me and not my way, but his way, right? This is what Jesus came for. He didn't come to make converts. He came to create a new family where God was father and we are his children and we are co-heirs with Christ. John 17 is a great chapter, one of my favorite chapters. In fact, if you ever feeling, if you're ever, if you're a believer and you're ever feeling like God doesn't love me, Jesus doesn't care about me, you should read John 17 because here you catch Jesus praying for you for me. And we find Jesus praying specifically, more specifically for his disciples, but it's, it's a blanket prayer for us. And at the very end of, very pers at the end of a very personal conversation you see between him and the Father, Jesus prays that, what does he pray? He prays that we would be what? One. Just as what? He and the Father are one. This is really important. At the end of the prayer, he goes, Father, I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not pray that a new world religion called Christianity would begin? He did not pray, oh Lord, I pray that you would send them to the synagogues 
so that people could become Christians. Dear Lord, I, I pray that you would send them to a local church where they could raise funds and build buildings and start nonprofit organizations that, uh, that's not what he did. He prayed, what did he pray? Make them, that's right, one. He prayed that we would be brought into a relationship that he had with his father. It might seem off-putting, but I think it's very appropriate even to say he, he did all this so that we could be in a relationship with his daddy, Abba. And that's what that word kind of means there. It isn't about puppet converts. It was about family, about relationship, about community. And this is an important idea for us to consider as we start, really, this series is dedicated to having an incarnational focus. It's called Real Mature, simply because it was really kind of hard to come up with a graphic that said incarnational. Um, <clears throat> but so Real Mature, but in, and really the heart of this series we, is we want to grow in maturity in regards to living the incarnational life, to living all of life like Jesus. And so let me be really clear. The reason we are doing this as a church is not to grow our church with converts, okay? Um, I think sometimes when you listen to our statement, when you listen to the fact that we're missional, that we want to reach people disconnected from God, we are for those that are disconnected from God. This is true. That's, that's not even to be discussed. But listen, our, our main goal is, I've never, ever, since we started this church in September of 2013, I've never, ever, ever prayed, God, make us big. I've always prayed, God, would you make us your church? Would you make us everything you wanted us to be? In fact, it was not about focusing our energies on what we were going to accomplish, but it was focusing our energies on what we were going to become. And we're doing this series so that we would get the heart of God for people and that we would learn that as a church body how to be true kingdom family and invite others to be family with us which allows God to see clearly and experience deeply the realities of the glory of God. Now, when it comes to understanding what kind of God, uh, what kind of people God wants us to become, I can't think of any better illustration than something that Jesus taught when he was being asked a question. And, uh, and, and just so you know, uh, we'll, we'll go into more scripture as we head into the series. This is kind of an intro to the series, but uh, I did want to kind of land here as a uh, passage of scripture kind of garnered the talk going forward. But uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 12, he has uh, people asking this question. They, they ask him this question. It says this, of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? And Jesus says this. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And those of you who are uh, armchair theologians and Bible geeks, you know that's that's the iteration of the great Shema, okay? He was saying this to, to let the people know, like, I'm a God-fearing Jew. I serve the same God. And then he goes on and says, and here it is. And you must love, what? The Lord your God with all your what? Heart, all your soul, all your, and all your strength. And then he goes, the second one is equally important. Love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment is greater than these. Think about that. Love the Lord your God 
soul. Strength. Love my neighbor as myself. That's it, Jesus. That's it. In other iterations of this, you'll find Jesus saying all the law and the prophets are encased in this. In fact, you know, following these two means that you will be someone who is very well in following all that God desires from his people. I don't think anyone disagrees with the idea that as a person grows up and matures in their faith that they will naturally become people who increasingly learn to live life like Jesus, to be incarnational, that they increasingly embody the life of Jesus in their everyday rhythms. I think we can agree, even if you're not a Christian, you would say that someone who is growing in their faith in Jesus will look more like Jesus day after day, right? That's what you would think. The problem is that in the church, spiritual maturity is mostly defined in how well you learn to simply just love the Lord your God with all your mind, right? That's why we come in here, preachers, preach, because it's fun. It's fun to love the Lord your God with all your mind. And you leave churches because that pastor just wasn't loving the Lord their God with all your mind. He was loving the Lord his God with too much of his heart and emotion. So we need to go to a church where we can love the Lord with our mind and go deep, right? And so, but this is what we do. It's this, this, this Christian subculture. If you've been around it for long enough, you know how it goes. And when reality, true spiritual growth is a maturity of not just your mind, because we do believe Romans 12 that says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? But it's also, it's also, it's also a growth in the maturity of learning to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, as well as your mind. In the scriptures, loving the Lord with your heart means submitting your emotions, your passions, your hungers, your perceptions, your thoughts. Loving the Lord with all your soul includes these aspects of your heart, but also as well includes the actions of the heart, which are completely submitted to Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's kind of like soul is heart and then some of your hands. And then the idea of strength is not just physical. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your strength, or when the people were listening, when they heard strength, they just weren't saying, yay, we get to do more cardio. That is not what it means for the Lord. That's not what it means. You can do cardio for the Lord, that's great. But that's not what it means to love the Lord with all your strength. It's not just physical, but it includes every available resource we have. Our influence, our gifts, our abilities for honoring God. Love the Lord with all your strength. And this is how we're going to be dividing up the series over the, over the summer. And so this is what we're going to be looking at uh, in regards to this idea of becoming real mature. Not just through the sense of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your mind, but through the lens of what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So now, <clears throat> that was kind of my intro. So what are we going to do with the rest of our time here? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, what I want to do is begin entertaining this idea of what does it mean for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is that we're going to pay attention to this scriptural idea of what it means to love the Lord with our heart. Specifically, we're going to be exploring what it means to have... Um, um, you know, just to put words around it, 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 what does it mean to have an emotionally healthy spiritual life? We just spent 
what, eight weeks in the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. And these are all, what, outflows of an emotionally healthy life. In fact, if the fruit of the Spirit is in your life, you will grow in ways that you can't on your own, but through God's Spirit, enact these emotional, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, peace, patience, you know, peace, uh, self-control, right? These are the things that we're going to grow in. And uh, out of complete transparency, uh, just so you know, the content of this series will be based off a book written by a pastor by the name of Pete Scazzaro and uh, the doctoral work of a man who is both my mentor and pastor. He's a local guy by the name of Dr. Russ Berg. In fact, next week, he will be here with us. And so he will be our guest speaker. And I want to personally invite you to come back. I want to make sure that you bring a friend. And as you hear from someone who has been a pastor to my life and a mentor in my own life, um, he was a senior pastor of a large church in Maple Grove. And he was, uh, and I worked for him. And, and man, he was just such a blessing in my life. And some of you know him. And so he's going to be here. He's gonna, really going to kick off this series. In fact, like I said, this is what he did his doctoral dissertation on. And so you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be really good stuff. But in Pete's book, so you're going to hear from him next week, but so let me just talk about Pete's book. Pete's book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, he writes this. <clears throat> I have the quote up here so you can see it. It says, Christian spirituality without an integration of emotional health can be deadly to yourself, your relationship with God, and the people around you. In other words, there is no such thing as a spiritually mature person who embodies, embodies, <laughs> Embody, I just make up words. Who embodies emotional immaturity. You don't get credit for having lots of Bible knowledge, but have issues with your temper. You don't get credit for being able to quote the book of Romans, but have an emotionally immature life, a life whose heart is not submitted to God in such a way that it, your heart loves the Lord your God. And so to help us understand what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like, uh, Pete talks about top 10 symptoms of emotional unhealthy spirituality. And what I want to do is, I just want to read them. And uh, I just want to let you know, I'm not thinking of any one of you. So like if I get to this and you're like, oh, I remember that conversation I had with Phil. Is he talking about me? I'm like, no, these are just a list Okay, but if it resonates with you as I talk about, list these top 10 signs that emotional, unhealthy, unhealthy emotional spirituality exists in your life, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to hold on to that and know, first and foremost, that there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more, nothing you can do that'll make God love you less. God did not come to die for perfect people. Remember, Jesus said, I have not come. Like uh, a surgeon has to come to heal sick people, but, this, but the, the sick are the one who need a doctor. And so I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So you need to know if, you, if we're talking about something and something resonates and you're like, oh, that just hurts. Congratulations. You have now just recognized something you can submit to God and begin to ask him to make you real mature. Okay, I just want to say that. So here's, here's the first thing. First, first way that you know that you have emotional unhealthy spirituality, using God to run from God. This is when I create a lot of God activity and ignore the difficult areas of my life God wants to change. Some examples might be, I use God to run from God when I do God's work to satisfy me, not him. I use God to run from God when I do things in his name that <laughs> he actually never asked me to do. 
I use God to run from God when my prayers are really about God do my will and not surrendering to the will of the Father you already know that he wants you to submit to. I use God to run from God when I use scripture to justify the sinful parts of my family relationships, cultural values, and national policies instead of evaluating them under God's lordship. Now I'm picking on some people, sorry. But this is what it means. Maybe, uh, maybe the second one, maybe that's new. Maybe you're ignoring the ungodly emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. This is not allowing the emotions of our lives, especially the negative ones, to be fully expressed and evaluated in light of who God is so we can recognize who we are and what it is that God wants to do inside of us. See, emotional unhealth is not just about having immature emotional responses to everyday life, but it's actually completely ignoring the natural emotions we feel as if though ignoring they existed will bring about maturity. It's not only an absence of emotional maturity that makes someone emotionally mature, it's evaluated emotional maturity and submission to immaturity and submission of those emotions to the gospel that brings emotional health. In other words, you need to recognize when there is emotional unhealth, you can't just go, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy. When you feel angry, you're just like, oh, just don't be sad. Just don't be sad. I'm going to push it down. Just get... You've actually got to recognize those because it's speaking about something in your heart that God wants to restore and redeem, and he actually wants you to become saddened that you have those emotions so you can recognize what a wretch you are and how much you are in need of God because you recognize you can't control some of these emotions, and so then you go, oh, God, help me. I need you. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. And God looks down at you and goes, congratulations, you're off to a good start. That's a good place to be. Maybe you have emotionally and healthy spirituality in your life because you're dying to the wrong things. Jesus did say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The question though is, what does this mean? Yes, we are to die to the sinful parts of who we are, such as defensiveness, detachment from others, arrogance, stubbornness, hypocrisy, judgmentalism, running our own lives, being the master of it, as well as the more obvious sins that describe for us in Scripture. But we are not called to die to the good parts that God has actually created in us. God never asks us to die to healthy desires or the pleasures of life, like friendship, joy, art, music, beauty, recreation, laughter, nature. God plants desires in our hearts so we will nurture them and water them. These desires and passions are very often invitations and gifts from God to know him more, to worship him more, and to appreciate him more. Another sign of emotional unhealthy spirituality is denying the past impact on the present. When we come faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's a child, teenager, or adult, we are in the dramatic language of the Bible, born again. The old is gone, the new has come. This is our new status in Christ if you believe in Jesus. But yet, here's the crazy thing, right? And those of you who became a Christian maybe later in life, you know this, it's this weird dynamic. Yet the work of growing and maturing in Christ, what theologians call sanctification, actually demands that we go back in order to break free from unhealthy destruction and destructive patterns that prevent us from going forward in what God has for us. 
And the goal is to go forward, but we must get rid of the baggage that we carry first, right? Paul, and we'll talk about this more. Paul talks about other words. He goes, I need to throw off. He uses his language, throw off and then clothe. And so we'll talk more about that. But if you deny the past impact on the past, like, oh, what happened in the past is the past, past. If you're just always saying that and people are like, I don't know, I, I just, I don't know if you, I know you said that you forgot then, but it seems like it's still bothering you. And you're just ignoring it and denying it. No, 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 I'm a new Christian. You might actually have some emotional unhealth in your life. Five, dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. Nothing ticks me off more than this, but that's because I know I do it. It's so easy to compartmentalize God to Christian activities like church, praying, read the Bible, attending a small group or missional community. Yet it's so easy to not think about God when I'm spending my money or, or you know, studying, studying for exams. We have a college boy here. Or when I'm doing yard work, I don't think about God. Or when I'm playing sports. Or some of you, I've watched you drive your car, and I know you're not thinking about God. <laughs> Just saying. According to Gallup polls and sociologists, one of the greatest scandals of our day is that many Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic and materialistic and self-centered and sexually immoral as the world in general. In fact, one modern theologian summarized this well when he wrote this, and I found this, and I just share it with you. He says this, whether the issue is marriage or sexuality or money and care for the poor, evangelicals today are living scandalously unbiblical lives. The data suggests that in many crucial areas, evangelicals are not living any differently from their unbelieving neighbors. That's sad. That should not be. And that happens when we divide our lives into categories of secular and sacred. And if you do that, you might have an unhealthy spiritual life. Another sign is doing for God instead of being with God. We kind of alluded to this already. But the problem is our identity as Christians is not in what we do, but our identity in Christ is everything that Christ has done for us. It's in his love for us. In fact, First John tells us, we do not know what love is, but this is how we know love, that God sent his son, Jesus, to what? Die for us. This is how we know love. Jesus died for us. Our activity for God can only properly flow out of a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. When our doing, our work for God is not nourished by a deep interior life with God, we end up off center. Our sense of worth and validation gradually shifts from God's unconditional love for us in Christ to our works and our performance. And the joy of Christ gradually disappears and we become human doings instead of human beings and this is in an emotionally unhealthy life. Some of us, we spiritualize away conflict, and this is not healthy. Nobody likes conflict. I know this, and I've learned this better than anyone who's not from Minnesota originally. Minnesotas, Minnesotans hate conflict. You guys hate conflict, right? I hate conflict. I've been here for, since 98, so I'm Minnesotan now. But yet conflict is everywhere. From the law courts to workplaces to classrooms to neighborhoods to marriages to parenting, our children to close friendships when someone has spoken or acted towards us inappropriately, 
But perhaps one of the destructive myths alive in the Christian community today is the belief that smoothing over disagreements or sweeping them under the rug is part of what it means to follow Jesus. There's conflict. Well, uh, just love. It's okay. It's going to be okay. For this reason, churches, small groups, ministry teams, denominations, and communities of faith continue to experience the pain of unresolved conflict. There's a few more. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. If you do that, you might be unhealthy. You might be unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy, uh, mature. And, and the pressure to present an image of ourselves as strong and spiritual, uh, uh, the, the, really the pressure to, to be together kind of hovers over us, to, be, to have our stuff together, Right? And we feel guilty for not measuring up, for, for not making the grade. Yet the Bible does not spin the flaws and weaknesses of its heroes. If you did not know, Abraham lied. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a racist. Jacob lied. John Mark deserted Paul. Elijah burned out on ministry. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Thomas doubted. <laughs> All these people send the same message that every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts and strengths, is weak, vulnerable, and dependent on God and the community that is God's people in order to become real mature. Two more. Another one, living life without limits. Of course, spiritual issue here relates to our limits and our humanity. We are not God. Some of you live like you are. We cannot serve everyone in need. We are human beings. And when we cross over limits given to us by God, we end up in trouble. Just look at Adam and Eve. Once they crossed a limit set by God in the Garden of Eden, and look what happened to them. And Jesus modeled limits for us even in his human being life by being literally human, not God, right? He was fully God, but yet he was fully human. That's just a, I mean, that's, that, that's a, a concept that deserves a whole Sunday on itself. But listen, Jesus didn't heal every sick person. He didn't go around and heal every single per person in Palestine. He did not raise every dead person from the dead. He did not feed all the hungry beggars. A life without limits forgets that God is God and we are not. We'll talk about how to confront that. And one of the most important things to me is this last sign of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. It's just judging other people's spiritual journey. I was taught that it was my responsibility to correct people in error or in sin and to always counsel people who were mixed up spiritually or weren't in a place with God that I thought they should be in, in growing up in the church culture that I grew up in. You were praised for opening your mouth and being bold and calling sin out for sin and telling people what the right thing is. In fact, I felt guilty if I saw something questionable and I didn't point it out. And most of us have no trouble dispensing advice or pointing out wrongdoing. Here's the problem, though. 
Jesus said, unless I first take out the log in my own eye, knowing that I have huge blind spots, I am dangerous for the cause of what God wants to accomplish in this world. And so I must see the extensive damage sin has done to every part of who I am, of my emotion, my intellect, my body, my will, my spirit, before I can healthily begin removing the speck out of your brother's eye. So, whew, these are just some of the signs that you may have some amounts of emotionally unhealthy spirituality that you're living with. So let me ask you a question. Did any of those strike a nerve with you? Yeah? Don't point to the person next to you. It's not helpful. I meant you. Like, yeah. You. So if it did, then the question is, what are you willing to do to become real mature? What will it take? What will it take? Here's what I know it will take. It'll take more than loving the Lord your God with all your mind. It will require also our heart, our soul, and our strength. And so here's what I want to do. Join us next week as we begin the first part of this series in understanding what it means to growing and loving the Lord your God with all your heart by pursuing emotionally unhealthy, by uh, not unhealthy, healthy, by uh, I'm going to trip over this phrase. Why in the world am I using this? I got to come up with something easier. As we pursue emotionally healthy spirituality. Okay? So that was our intro. If you felt something, a little twinge of something as we went through this top 10 list, what I want you to do is hold on to that. And just hold on to this truth that God sent his son Jesus to even die for that thing. God wants to make you more like his son Jesus. And over the summer here, we're going to hopefully begin creating this journey that all of us could take to learn what it means to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior.